If you've got an app, uh, down, open it up. If you've not downloaded the Harborside app on your smartphone, lots of scripture today, lots of fill-in, and some challenges at the end that you're going to want to have uh, in and on your app. Let's just jump into Romans chapter 12, and I'm going to show you this one verse in three different translations. So all three of these will actually be Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 1. Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your behavior. Is that what it says? It says your mind. Hmm. Don't copy the behavior. Same verse, different translation. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you, the way you think. The most important part of the Christian life on you and in you is your brain. Say brain. Brain. It's your brain. Your brain is the organ that affects your Christian behavior. One last translation. Stop imitating the ideals and the opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. See, there's two kingdoms. One's visible, one's invisible. One's temporary, one's eternal. And you choose which kingdom you're going to think about. Now let me ask you this question. What, what do you think about? What are your thoughts? Well, we already know. We already know how every one of you think because of how you speak. If you don't know somebody, you sit down with them for an hour, and within an hour you know how someone thinks. So let me ask you this question again. How do you think? Are you positive? Are you optimistic? Are you a whiner? Are you a complainer? Are you filled with anxiety? When you speak, is it the glass is half empty, not half full? See, we already know how you think by how you, how you speak. That's why the Bible says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. It's really clear how you think. The question this morning is, how do you want to think? And how can you think? And I want to talk about winners think exceptionally. And winners in the kingdom of God think differently. There are two kingdoms. One is eternal, one is temporary, one is visible, and one is invisible. And we all get to choose which kingdom we're going to think about. Let me ask you this again. How do you think? Are you hopeful, hopeless? Faithful, faithless? I believe God can. I don't believe even God can pull this off. How do you think? Well, maybe the better question this morning is, how do you want to think? How do you want to think? Because these scriptures talk about transforming your mind, renewing your mind. Honestly, it's changing the way that you think. Now, this is a Christian audience, I hope. You, sound, you look familiar, you look smiling so far. But if it wasn't, if this was like a secular audience, an audience that was filled with non-Christians, I wouldn't start with those three translations of the same verse. I, I would start with secular research. And I love when secular research just puts a stamp of approval on exactly what the scriptures say. So listen now, this is how I would start if we were all a bunch of heathens, all right? So here, here we go. Some of you are, but this, most of you aren't, so just hang with me and we'll go forward, all right? 
Hopefully none of you are, all right? Secular research says this. David Robison, not the basketball player, okay? David Robison, business professor at Duke, shows that optimistic people work harder, get paid more, are elected to office more often, and win at sports regularly. Now, I got, I got three more. But if just David Robison's research came to you, would you be willing to change the way that you think? Would you like to have a better life and a better lifestyle because of how you think? Martin Segman says this. He shows that optimistic salespeople perform better. This is like reams and reams of research, books of research. Shows that optimistic salespeople perform better than their pessimistic counterparts. We kind of get that, don't we? That kind of makes sense to all, most of us in the room. Barbara Fredrickson research claims that people who experience more positive emotions than negative emotions see the bigger picture, build relationships, and thrive. Say thrive. thrive. Say it again. Thrive. thrive. They thrive in their homes and in their workplaces. Now, as believers, that's what we want. We want to thrive as moms and dads. We want to thrive as aunts and uncles. We, we want to thrive, not survive. This is secular research compared to focusing on the problems. How do you think? Well, just tape yourself for about half an hour. Or listen to your self-talk as you're driving from place to place. How do you think? It's not hard to figure out. It's what you say. I really like this one. John Gottman's been doing research on marriage now for about 40 years. And John Gottman says, Couples who experience a 5 to 1 ratio of positive to negative interactions. In other words, you're saying 5 good things versus, Honey, we need to change this. 5 positive things versus, You know what? We need some adjustment here. 5 to 1. Couples who experience a 5 to 1 ratio of positive to negative interactions are highly likely to succeed. I mean, that, that in itself should motivate us on how we think, right? Five to one ratio enhances the couples greatly. However, one-on-one interactions, positive to negative, I don't like this, I like your shoes, I don't like this, I like your watch, I don't like this, but I like you, are likely to end in divorce. That's interesting to me. All right. Let's go back to those three translations of the same verse. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Let's look at them again one more time. What's Paul doing? For 11 chapters, Paul has told you about the mercies of God. For 11 chapters, Paul has told you about God's kindness leads you toward repentance. For 11 chapters, God has told you about the goodness. Paul has told you about the goodness of your heavenly Father and how you can repent you can come clean, you can be righteous, you can have your sins forgiven, you can get removed guilt, shame, pain for 11 chapters. He's been telling you about the mercies of God. And in chapter 12, it's kind of that game changer where the music changes in a movie. In chapter 12, he starts talking about, so because of what God has done for you, because of who God is in your life, because of what God wants to do for you, will you change the way you think? And the way you change the way you think is you have to renew your mind. How do you win the day? You renew your mind constantly, daily. It's what you listen to. It's what you watch. It's what you do. It's who you hang around. How do you win the day? 
Winners in the kingdom of God think exceptionally. So don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Don't imitate, stop imitating the ideals and the opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation, a total reformation. Some of you grew up in the most negative homes. You need a total reformation. Some of you are around people who don't have enough faith to walk themselves out of a paper bag. You need a total reformation. And the answer is, the total reformation comes through the power of the gospel, through the scriptures, and through the church, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's possible for every one of us to have a renewed mind. Let's talk about culture for just a minute. Because culture and God are like in this conflict together. And I'm not against culture. I like a lot of things in culture. I like music. I like a lot of different kinds of music. I can even stomach a little bit of opera for about half an hour or so, okay? I like music. And the older I get, the more I appreciate art. I like art. And I like, I like people who have artistic flair and flavor and can make things and build things. I, I'm, I'm so impressed with the beauty that so many people in our culture can craft and cre- can create. But the other side of the coin of culture is this. Culture's out to get you. Culture's out to bait you and then to discard you. Let me give you some examples. Culture's out to get you with food. It is. It's commercials, food, all the kind of food, food, food. It's coming at you all the time, all the different ways. And then when you can't stay healthy or you can't maintain a certain body weight, culture will then, on social media, shame you. Culture baits you. What's wrong with you? Can't you? And then they discard you. Culture does this with alcohol. I I think it's kind of funny, maybe it's good, that some of these companies say, drink responsibly. Well, the people who drink responsibly don't need that message, right? (laughs) The ones who drink irresponsibly are the ones that, yes, they're the ones that need the message. So culture baits you. Bates you with alcohol. Alcohol, drink, every party, every event, Super Bowl, drink, 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 drink. And then when you become an alcoholic, or you kind of go AWOL with alcohol, what's wrong with you? And culture then discards you when culture's the one that baited you. Money. Culture baits you with money all the time. Money, money, money. Culture's always baiting you with money. It's always baiting you. Buy more, take out loans, don't save anything, and then when you can't pay your bills and you go bankrupt, what is wrong with you? You can't even manage your resources? You make this much money and you can't handle it? Culture baits you and then discards you. Sexual immorality. I'm not surprised when people are sexually immoral. I'm shocked that so many people are sexually moral. You go anywhere today, drive on US 19, billboards, watch Netflix, watch Super Bowl ads, anything. Culture is baiting, 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 baiting. 
and then you have a child out of wedlock, you have sexually transmitted diseases, or you have an affair, and culture says, what is wrong with you? How can you not stay faithful? Culture baits you. Culture does not have your best interest in mind. And so we're talking about thinking now. Winners think exceptionally. Winners in the kingdom of God think differently. The kingdom of God is not visible. The kingdom of God is invisible. The kingdom of God is not temporary. The kingdom of God is eternal. Which kingdom do you see? And which kingdom do you think about? And which kingdom drives you all day long? And so the news is out to get you. The news does not have your best interests in mind. The news at 10 o'clock at night does not have an agenda that I want them to sleep peacefully tonight. I want them to be able to sing Kumbaya the next half hour and go to sleep. The news is out to scare the you-know-what out of you, isn't it? And you just think about it. What is the news' greatest agenda? And this can be Christian magazines. This can be secular magazines. This can be Christian radio television. This can be secular radio television. Fox News and CNN, after an hour, have never made me feel more peaceful. <laughs> have they you? I mean, let's be honest. And you go to a commercial break, you know, North Korea is, you know, going to test a nuclear... I mean, you, you got to come back after the commercial because we might be going to war. I mean, I'm just making this up. Nobody freak out. I just... That was an example off the top of my head. Culture baits you. And then culture discards you. But the king has your best interests in mind. And the king gives you a renewed mind by the power of the Holy Spirit. You want to win the day? Well, you're going to have to put stuff in here that's not seen, it's invisible, not temporary, it is eternal. And that's where the hard work comes in. This is why we're always telling you to read your Bible and pray and join a connect group and and you come to church. But that's why. It's because God has great things in store for you. So if you were to ask me, all right, Kurt, how do I renew my mind? When somebody asked me that, Kurt, how do I renew my mind? I'm going to give you eight ways right now. Very specific. I don't think you can do all eight of these. If you can grab one of these, I think that's all you can grab. That's great. But I'm going to give you eight specific ways out of Romans chapter 12 on how you can renew your mind. Here we go. The first one is, is you learn to surrender. Now, culture says fight. Fight for your rights. Fight for your turf, fight for your territory, fight, fight, fight. Fight in your marriage, fight in your business, fight with your employees, fight with your boss, fight with your neighbors, fight with your family. That does not renew your mind. I'm not saying you shouldn't fight sometimes, but I'm saying predominantly he's asking us to surrender to our Heavenly Father. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. You're surrendering to the Father. You're surrendering your will to God. You're not fighting God, God's will and God's ways. You're surrendering to the King. And offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So one way for you to renew your mind is to live in a state of surrender, not fighting God. God's people, God's purposes. Number two, 
find your lane and run your race. I, I think there's 20 different lanes of all of us in this room that are just absolutely okay and absolutely acceptable. The problem is, is when I'm looking at your lane and I'm trying to run your race. Why would I get in your lane and why would I run your race? Why wouldn't I stay in my lane and stay in my race? And so I got to know what my lane is and I got to understand what my race and cadence and pace is. And everybody has a different lane to run in. And everybody has a different race in the room. But when we're looking at other people and comparing ourselves, well, she's ahead of me. Well, golly, bum, I'm ahead of him. That's the wrong way to approach this, right? So here's what he says. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. The older I get, too, in the Christian walk, I realize I don't deserve anything. I am overwhelmed with God's mercy and God's grace. And that's the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. You didn't earn your salvation. You didn't earn your favor with God. You didn't earn this righteousness. You were blessed with it. You got it because of the righteousness of Christ in you. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. In accordance with the faith God has distributed to each one of us. In other words, God's given you a certain amount of faith. Think faithfully. Think like a team player. I think when you're a team player at home, a team player in the neighborhood, a team player in the family, a team player at work, I think everybody, it it just speaks volumes. Because the culture of our world is me, 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 me. What's in this for me? What's in this for me? I'm the most important one. And when you think like a team player in the kingdom of God, it's, it's a game changer. It's an absolute game changer. Think like a team player. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Pay attention. Let me try to explain this better than I did the, the last hour. One of the things that God's done for you is when something's not right, there's tension. And what I'm trying to say here is pay attention to the tension. When something's a little off kilter or just a little, you, you get knotted up. Pay attention to the tension. Instead of turning up the noise around you loud enough so that you don't have to pay attention to it. You see, what we ought to do and can do to think differently, to renew our minds, is go, why am I anxious? Why am I upset? Why does that not feel good? Why does that not feel right? Rather than just keep blowing and going and turning up the volume around you. When you turn up the volume around you, you just increase the tension. So so pay attention to what's going on inside and say, Father, I'm anxious. Is something wrong? What's going on here? Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. I I got to put my faith and trust in you. So I'm just going to, I'm going to cling to you even though there's some some anxiety. I'm not going to not pay attention to the tension within me. And do what's best for people. Gosh, what a game changer that is. When you actually start loving the people in your life and the people who are around you, do what's best for people. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Can can you actually do that to people that you don't like? 
Can you actually do that to, I call these people extra grace required people? <laughs> extra grace, e.g., e extra grace required people? Well, you can't if you're not renewing your mind. You can and you must if you want to be a winner. Winners think exceptionally. Stay on the field. And what I mean by this is I, I think retirement's a first world problem. I really do. And when you stop being on the field, either volunteering or working, you stop adding value. Retirement's not in the book, by the way. You can't find retirement in the Bible. Abraham, at age 90, may not have worked 12 hours in the field, but he still worked four and so there, there's, no, there's no retirement, really, from the kingdom of God. There, there's no age where you get to check out. There's no, well, I've done this long enough or been here, done that. This, you stay on the field. And the way you stay on the field is, is you renew your mind. I'm in. I'm all in. My time is short. I love what Moses said. In Psalm 90. I think it's the only Psalm Moses wrote. Psalm 90, he says, Teach us to number our days, O Lord, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days, O Lord, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. You, you stay on the field. You never be lacking in zeal, but you keep your spiritual fervor. You serve the Lord. You serve the Lord all the days of your life. You lean in. We've talked about this before. How we lean in to God, God's will, God's ways. We're joyful in hope. We're patient in affliction. We're faithful in prayer. We share with the Lord's people who are in need. We practice hospitality. These are all specific ways that you live by renewing your mind. These are all action steps. These action steps help you to have a renewed mind. And you love those who don't love you. That's real easy to do, isn't it? That's the hardest one of all. I'm going to tell you just a minute how to do that. He says this. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Now, how do you bless somebody you don't like? How, how do you bless an enemy? It's only when you see from a different kingdom. If you see what this kingdom's all about, you can't do it. If you see an eternal, invisible kingdom, you can do anything. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friend, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. God's saying, you don't get even with people. You don't take revenge. I know what they did. I know what she said. I know how they cheated you. I know how they betrayed you. I, I, it's not yours to take revenge. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. He's quoting Jesus. He's quoting Jesus from Matthew chapter 5. And in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say unto you, love your neighbors and you pray for those who persecute you. And then he says this, If you pray for those who persecute you, then you will be a son, daughter of your heavenly Father. So that verse didn't mean a whole lot to me until about a year ago. And I heard a preacher, podcast, I was listening to him, and I heard him talk about his enemies. 
And if I told you his name, you'd know him. And I'm not going to do that. But he said that, you know, several people had really been very outspoken against him. And they'd written articles about him. And every time publicly they could, they would, they would slam him. And so he said, when he read Matthew chapter 5, verses 44 and 45, he said, man, it was convicting. Because it says, if you pray for them, you pray for those who are your enemies, you will be a son or a daughter of your father. That's how you know that you're a son or a daughter. You're so able to think differently even about your enemies, even about those people who persecute you. So that rocked my world about a year ago. And so I thought about, I thought about who are my enemies? And so I wrote down a few of them that I've had for about 15 years. I don't know why they're enemies. I actually have never disliked them. As far as I know, I've never done anything against them. But they truly are out to get me in any way, shape, or form. And so I read that verse and I said, oh, crap, I'm supposed to pray for them. (laughs) And so my first prayer was, Lord, at a four-way stop, can they all die? Can they all die at a four-way stop? And I realized I'd missed the point of Matthew chapter 5. No, I didn't do that, but I wanted to do that. So now, I actually pray for these people. I pray for them by name. And I ask you to bless them, to bless them with prosperity financially, to bless them with health. I'm asking you to bless their brides, their children their grandchildren not because I like them are you with me but because I want to have a renewed mind and I want to be a son I want to be known as a son of my heavenly father and so the first month or two praying for them it was hard and now it's easy I hope they do well I hope God blesses them. I hope God transforms them, changes them, blesses their families, their grandkids, gives them a spiritual legacy. It's easier and all get out to pray for them now. Do you see what he's saying? You see, if you'll renew your mind, he promises this. Now, this is the work. The work is the prayer. The work is the scripture. The work is the worship. The work is, it's challenging. But here's the promises, if you'll do it. You will radiate with the glow of the Holy Spirit. Or you can continue to be all knotted up and have anxiety. You have a choice. I have a choice too. So I can radiate. He will fill me with his excitement as I serve him. All from Romans chapter 12. I'll be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit. Guys, success never comes from the outside in. Have you noticed that? Success only comes from the inside out. Success only comes from the inside out. Say inside out. It doesn't matter newer, bigger, shinier, none of that matters until this right here gets right with God. Success always, always, always comes from the what? The inside out. So he says, you'll be inwardly transformed. 
I can, I can stand before you and say, I can honestly pray for these enemies of mine with joy. I can't tell you I'm excited to pray for them, but I can tell you I do it, and it doesn't cause me any more pain. This will empower you to discern God's will. We all want that. We all want to discern God's will for our life. So here's the eight, and I want you to pick one. Just, just pick one. If you try to pick three or four, I don't think you'll pick any. But here's eight different ways for you to renew your mind, for you to transform the way that you think. I want to ask you to pick one. On Tuesday mornings at 7.30 a.m., my family, the men of my family, we have a connect group. And we've actually done this uh, through an entire book. We've done 20 chapters of a particular book. And so it's um, my son, it's my son's-in-law, my son, both son's-in-law's father, fathers, and one of the grandfathers of of a son-in-law, and another son. So there's about eight of us at 7.30 a.m. It's exactly one hour, 7.30 to 8.30, because I got to get back. Ethan and I have to get back here to staff meeting at 9 o'clock. So, so we meet. And we were meeting about three or four weeks ago, and it was actually one of my son-in-law's dad. It was actually Jeff and, and his dad, Dave. And Dave said, I started something new on January the 1st. He said, I, he goes to work early. He said, but I get up at 5 o'clock every morning. At 5 a.m., I am up reading and praying. And this was just a couple weeks ago. And he said to us, he said, I can't tell you the difference that it's made. I, I can't tell you how I go to work. I can actually love some unlovable people. I can actually be kind to some people that aren't very kind. He said, I can't tell you why his mind has gotten renewed. For years and years and years, I would exercise early in the morning um, to a particular news station. And I thought, why in the world? And I've already had some prayer in Bible study. Why in the world am I doing that? And so I, 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 on my laptop, on my computer, as I exercise now early in the morning, I just have worship music going on. I got worship music jamming in the living room. I got a workout app on my phone. I, I'm having a ball worshiping God as I'm exercising. The point is, you want to win the day? How how are you winning the morning? I'm not sure that you can win the day until you win the morning. I'm not sure that you can win the night without going to bed, again, winning the night with something. Prayer, scripture, worship songs, Harborside CD, whatever it is. It's a shameless plug. I'm not sure that you can win the night watching 10 o'clock news. In fact, I'm pretty sure you won't win the night if you watch anxiety-filled information that late at night. So pick one of these. If I'm honest, I fight. If I'm honest, I look at everybody else's lane. If I'm honest, I'm not a team player. I'm a cross-country runner. If I'm honest, I turn up the volume so I don't have to pay attention. If I'm honest, I always do what's best for me. If I'm honest, I want to check out. If I'm honest, I don't want to lean in. I want to lean over. If I'm honest, I don't want to pray for those people. Pick one. Pick one. And when you've got your one, stand up, and I'm going to pray for you. If you're a brand-new guest, just stand up anyway and smile. 
think those are easy. I think those are incredibly difficult. I think you're swimming upstream by picking one or two or three of those. I really do. But it's a game changer. It's a game changer. And winners, they think exceptionally. We come into your presence, O King of kings and Lord of lords. And the mercy and the honor that you've had for us. You've just blessed us so much. Would the prayer partners come down also, please, at this time? We come before you and we say, we want to renew our minds. We don't want to be negative. We don't want to gripe. We don't want to complain. We don't want to be filled with anxiety. We don't want to be hopeless. We don't want to be faithless. We want to be filled with your spirit. We want to be renewed by the power of your Holy Spirit inside of us. So for all my friends in the room, take that one or two action steps and honor their faith today. And if there are those in the room that need to give their lives to Christ, oh God, let them come down to the prayer partners and just change everything. Not just how they think, change everything in their lives. In Jesus' name we pray. God bless you.